Welcome to the latest edition of the Shukri Rice Podcast with your host Shukri Rice. Hope all of you are having a great start to your week as we are now inching also closer to October as we record here on September 18, 2023. And a lot has happened over the last few days, especially over the weekend in which that I figured that today would be a good time to, to talk about it as much as I possibly can within this 30-minute window that I have. But I typically would start with football. Football, obviously, you know, being king in this country, you know, I would absolutely make it a point to talk about. I'm going to get to that a little later in the podcast, but I actually want to talk about hockey to start this one because there was a major story that took place or that had been happening over the last several days, but the big news breaking over the weekend, Mike Babcock, head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets, out as the head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets. After the findings of the NHL Players Association into investigating his behavior between himself and some of the younger players, including Captain Boone Jenner, found him to be um, pretty inappropriate when it came to asking him and some of the other players to look at photos on their phone and then playing it via airplay. It just, that in itself sounds absolutely, utterly insane. What is a grown man doing asking to see another man's phone just to see photos of what they had? According to Mac Babcock, he wanted to find out what kind of man they are? What kind of man, or man or is he going to be coaching this upcoming season? So let me understand this correctly. You want to find out the caliber of men that you have on your team by going through their phones and violating their privacy. What planet do you come from, Babcock, or Babaric? Because... That makes absolutely no sense. You want to find out what kind of men you really have. You find it out during during moments of adversity, during times of adversity. Your team is not playing well. Your team is having a bad night, and they're getting their doors blown out by a better team. Let's say, like, by the Tampa Bay Lightning or something. You're down 5-1 to one going into the third period. You find out what kind of men and what kind of team you have then, not by going through their phone. What exactly does that accomplish? You basically plant to see that I have a head coach who is absolutely psycho and must know every bit of detail in my life in order to try to get the best out of me. Meanwhile, you accomplish the complete opposite by by mere by mere fact that he don't trust me. He wants to see what I have on my phone. On my phone. Let me ask you this question: What if he had inappropriate on photos that was he was sending between him and his and his partner? What then? What then? It's not your business. But yet, you wanted to make it about you and laying down the law. Now, you are wondering at home somewhere, I don't even care where you are at this point in time, what's next? What's next for you? What is next? Because let's be frank, I don't even think he'll coach again in the NHL. I don't think he should coach in the NHL again. There was a reason why that he was let go 
as head coach of the Toronto Maple Leafs. There was a reason why he was let go as the head coach of the Detroit Red Wings, despite having won a Stanley Cup. There's a reason why that despite his wrongdoings, he was still considered for a head coaching job, something that he should not have been considered for in the first place. Why? Is it because that the pedigree, he's a hard-nosed coach, this is a guy that's won before, he has done it before, he has been successful in Detroit or in Toronto? Is that why? Or did you decide to purposely run through red lights as if that you didn't think you were going to run into oncoming traffic, oncoming traffic such as player complaints, toxic locker room, toxic work environment, all in which that you said, you know what? I won't be hit by any of those. Nope. You got T-bone at the interception of reality and perception. And oh, by the way, that, that T, that last part, social media. Social media. Because let's be real, social media played a huge role in the upheaval and in, in the uproar out in Columbus. Because I'm going to call it exactly as an uproar. Some players may not have had a problem with it, but the fact that you had enough of a young nucleus core on that Columbus Blue Jackets roster who had a problem with it that said, hey, you know what? I don't think this is a good idea. Because those guys are going to be your, your your core moving forward into the future. You need guys like Johnny Gaudreau. You need guys like Boone Jenner. You need other important um, players on this team, like like a um, like, like Adam Fatilny, for example. You need those type of players bought in into the system. And if you have a, a head coach who's a tyrant, who's a bully, who is, I mean, being a weirdo, there's nothing wrong with it, but this is beyond just gross. You think players are going to buy into that kind of leadership? Buy into a coach that's going to say, hey, follow my lead, follow my system, everything will be kumbaya. Absolutely not. Because we have seen already in sports, just within this month alone, the importance of having sound and powerful and yet meaningful leadership. I'm going to give you an actual example. Deion Sanders, Colorado University, the Colorado Buffaloes, head coach. Let's throw out the fact that that Buffalo team is 3-0. Throw it out completely. Look at the fact that he has got those men, those young men, buying into his message. That matters in today's world. That matters in sports. That matters in terms of being a vocal and yet effective leader. People who will happily follow your lead, not because they're doing it blindly, but because they believe in the message that's being delivered to them. What kind of message did Mike Babcock deliver to the Columbus Blue Jackets players by asking for their phones? There's at least a thousand other ways you could have gone about it. But you chose to say, you know what? I want to see what kind of man you are because I want to look through your phone. Really? You expose yourself in the process 
of revealing what kind of person you really are. Forget head coach. You're a psychotic head coach. You showed everyone else on that team and in that organization and across the NHL that this is a man who did not learn his lesson. He is not to be trusted. So congratulations. There's a very near and dear price to be paid, and you're being paid right now by the fact that you are you are basically fired. Forget the PR BS. Forget the, oh, well, it was made to be looked as if that the Columbus Blue Jackets has some sort of an exit strategy. No, you were fired. They wanted to put lipstick on a pig, but you were fired because you wanted to be an idiot. You were fired because you didn't learn your lesson. And at the end of the day, it wasn't about you. It was about the fact that you overstepped your boundaries. And you basically showed that you are not to be trusted at all. And then there's another part to the story that I want to talk about. And it deserves a lot of attention on this, actually. Paul Bissonnette, who I had the privilege of actually have had met him in person at a Bruins a viewing party two years ago while I was living in Boston at the time. He was the one that broke the story on the Spitting and Chickens podcast for Barstool Sports. When the story first broke, the vitriol and the criticism and the, and the damnation by media included was so loud and so palpable that even some a member of the Hockey News thought it would be a great idea to throw to throw a lit match into a, in, into a, a, a tin of gasoline and thinking that it wasn't going to explode at some point. Bissonette, Ryan Whitney, and I'm sure the entire podcast, including R.A., great guy, had the chance to meet him and all. Awesome dude. Um, Mike Grinelli, who I've had the chance to, to interact with on social media and whatnot. They all received some serious criticism for that. And you know what's funny? What's truly funny about vindication is that when the truth actually did come out and prove that Paul Bissonnette wasn't that correct, guess what happened? Oh, no, you were right. I myself even tweeted, said, you know, you were absolutely right. Because I didn't say anything much at all. I didn't say anything on the podcast. I didn't say anything on social media about it because there is still so much to that, that needed to be revealed, that I needed to learn about this situation before I even made any sort of comment on it. And then the one person who was loud about it the most gave the most backhanded, half-assed apology you could have given. Biz was right, but I hope it uses that same energy to, um, like to, to address other toxic matters in hockey. How backhanded and how half-assed of an apology can you possibly be? When you practically slammed that podcast and slammed the people who who are part of that program, why and for what reason? And this is part of the reason why I have such a huge problem with people. And I'm talking. And I'm making this. And I'm making this point because I don't even give a damn who it offends. I have a major problem with people who want to point fingers without any sort of like hardcore proof or without any sort of a doubt fact. Just for the mere fact of, 
oh my God, their perception goes before their own, their own reality. You attacked and so many others. You attacked them because of the fact that it's a Barstool Sports pod. What do those guys know? Like whatever perceived or any sort of or any sort of angst you may have to against them instead of actually hold off for a minute. Let's before I even respond, find out, let's wait and see what more comes out before you decide you want to throw grenades and, and, and atomic bombs at, at that podcast. Because let me tell you something, whether you like them or not, I don't even care. They were right. So yeah, Ryan Whitney, Paul Bissonette, Rear Admiral, Mike Grinelli, dance, celebrate. Celebrate because you were absolutely right. Y'all, the podcast was absolutely right. And especially Biz, specifically Biz for a moment. He was the one that brought up the text, showed the text on social media. But yet for some people, it wasn't enough. That's why I'm, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm upset because we're so fast to, to just say, you, you know what? No, we don't believe you. You're part of the problem. Instead of actually saying, wait a minute, hold up. There's, there may be something here. But yet, here we are on a Monday. And the fallout from the Columbus Blue Jackets organization is just beginning. Because many people have asked the question, and rightfully so, why the hell does the general manager still have a job knowing full well, knowing full well that Mike Babcock, before his hiring, was a walking human red flag? This wasn't a secret. Everybody in the hockey world knew. Everyone knew. So as we record this podcast today, let this be a lesson. And I'm serious. Let this be a lesson. Before you throw stones when you live in a glass house, make sure you have all your your facts lined up in terms of, especially when it comes to a story like this. When it comes to a story in which that players are texting, especially NHL players texting another former NHL player who so happens to be an absolute star in a, t- in a sports TV business and as well as part of the most popular hockey podcast in the world and spitting chiclets, maybe, just maybe, hold off for just a bit. Find out a bit, a lot more information before you go rampage because that's what we like to do on social media nowadays. Go on a rampage, go on an absolute uh, barn burner, and without any sort of idea that, hey, you know what? Maybe this guy has connections in the NHL amongst the NHL players that you within the media will never have or will ever truly understand. So let's pump the brakes a little bit, shall we? Pump the brakes because... You did yourself no favors. You did yourself absolutely no favors. And, and you absolutely may have, you did, you did yourself more harm than good. But this story out of Columbus is absolutely insane. Mike Babcock, I hope that man never coaches in the NHL ever again. I really do. Because how many times is the NHL going to 
recycle over and over and over again these head coaches who are no good for the sport, who are toxic, who are no good. And I'm not talking about no good in terms of they, they can't win games. Yeah, sure, they can win, but they're absolute dicks in the process. There's far too many of them out there. They need to stop being recycled and give younger guys a chance to coach, to lead these men out onto the ice and, and have a, a profound impact on these players. Crazy, isn't it? Huh. I tell you, what a story. And just when you think that this may be the end of it, I don't think this is the end of the story at all. I think there's more that that's going to come out from this. But you know what? Shout out to the Spit and Chickless pod. As I said, Paul Biz, you're a rock star. You're a solid one for even breaking the story to begin with. And you deserve all the flowers that's going to come your way. Now, in the coming days, in the coming weeks, I'm sure, especially as we are now getting closer to the start of the NHL regular season, just three weeks away, by the way, three more weeks. So congratulations. Job well done. Thank you, everybody, for sticking on with the Shook Race podcast as I just took a break. And we're going to continue on with this pod. And I want to talk NFL football now. Because yesterday was quite a eventful day um, in terms of the games across the NFL. Defensive dominance and brilliance, should I say. And speaking of defensive brilliance, there's a team in the NFL that I am actually starting to really believe that their defense is as rock solid as it possibly can be in the NFL. And I'm talking about the Dallas Cowboys, a team that I've given a lot of grief to and a lot of reasons for over the years. But if we're going to be honest with ourselves, if we're going to be, I'll tell the truth, the Dallas Cowboys, whew, they delivered another statement yesterday in their 30-10 to 10 win over the New York Jets without Aaron Rodgers' first week since the season-ending injury that Aaron Rodgers sustained in week one on Monday Night Football against the Buffalo Bills, four plays into the game. A lot of people today are asking this question, and, and for reasons that are definitely understandable. And I get it. Is this defense for real? Some people are even asking, is the Dallas Cowboys the best team in the NFL? Unbiasedly speaking, I'm going to say I don't think that the Cowboys are the best team in the NFL. But I do honestly think they have the best defense in the NFL. Because what they have done so far through two games is absolutely astounding. They've given up a grand total of 10 points so far this entire season. They shut out the, the New York Giants offensively in week one on Sunday Night Football a week ago. And then they only allowed 10 points to the New York Jets in their home opener yesterday. 10 points. But let's further look into why this defense for the Dallas Cowboys is truly for real. I don't think it's really debatable any longer as to why this team and why this defense is truly as legit as it gets. Number one. 
let's start with the mere fact that this pass rush for the Dallas Cowboys is nothing to be played with at all. Like, at all. And then, on top of that, you look at the front seven and what I have seen so far in terms of Dexter Lawrence, Mika Parsons, Lander Van Der Esch, and then as well as the addition of Stephon Gilmore, they have been balling. They have been balling so far. And you talk about someone who is like who has really built up an impressive name for himself. And I'm talking about Mika Parsons now. Mika Parsons has been that guy on a defensive side of the football for the better part of the last couple of years. I don't even think it's it's really a question or any doubt. 30-year player, and if he continues this level of play, Mika Parsons could be the be- the first defensive player to win NFL MVP since Lawrence Taylor in 1986. That's how dominant he has been on the league's best defense so far in the early going. Yes, it's two weeks into the into the into the season, but as I said, the front seven outstanding. The secondary, whoo! Let's talk about the secondary because, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Trevon Diggs is a problem at corner. And like I said, the addition of Stephon Gilmore, problematic. That secondary is as rock solid as there is in the NFC, dare I say, in the NFL. And then also, and I talked about, you know, like some of the younger guys. And I actually want to talk about uh, Donovan Wilson as well. Who is who's a safety for the Dallas Cowboys as being part of that terrific defense? Listen, the front seven and the secondary have been operating like a cohesive unit. It's been rather impressive to watch. When you're able to get constant pressure on the on the quarterback, just as the Cowboys did in week one against Daniel Jones, just as they did yesterday against Zach Wilson, although if we're being honest, he is a mid-quarterback. Your secondary is going to be put to work. Quarterbacks are going to get rid of the ball sooner than they want to give it, give it the football. And that's how you create turnovers. You, you create interceptions. You create timely, timely plays and timely stops for your defense to get the defense off the field and get your offense on the field. So what I've seen through the first two games for – the Dallas Cowboys defensively, they are the best defensive team in football. I don't think it's hyperbole to say that. And many of you that know me that I am no Cowboy fan, I have spent more time blasting the, the Cowboy fans more than anything. I don't have a problem with the organization or the team. But unbiasedly speaking, purely football speaking, there's no doubt in my mind. What you've seen from this Cowboys defense is for real. It's not a fluke. It's not a fluke. And in the first two games, the Cowboys' offense, not too bad. They're averaging 35 points per game. They scored 30 yesterday in their win against the Jets. And they scored 40 in week one. So do I think it is a 
it is a coincidence? Absolutely not. I mean, how could you? How could you? If anything else, <laughs> if anything else, this tells me that Dak Prescott is doing a better job of taking care of the football. I like Troy Pollard a lot. I mean, he has been a beast of a running back for this Cowboys running um, running game in which that the Cowboys for a number of years have had a pretty solid offensive line by and large part. But now you, you combine the solid offensive line up front plus the play of Troy Pollard, the running back, you're going to get magic. And they've been getting a lot of magic so far. Which is, again, as I said, I'm not ready to call them the best team in the NFL just yet. But is their defense for real? Absolutely. That's not even, I shouldn't even be a question anymore. I think it's for real. And it's warranted a conversation whether if this Cowboys team, can they keep this up? Because they have some interesting tests coming up. I think the interesting test for me in terms of assessing just how good this Cowboys team is, is week five when they play against the San Francisco 49ers. That's really going to be the litmus test. How much have they grown? And that by, that game is also, by the way, on Sunday Night Football. Week five. That's going to be the litmus test. This upcoming week, this upcoming Sunday, they have um, the matchup against the, the Arizona Cardinals. And then week four, they also have their matchup against the New England Patriots, who are currently winless at this time of this recording. So whatever happens next, it, or will, hap- will happen next, but I do know this. There's no question in my mind that the Cowboys have the best defense in the NFL, and if they continue to produce offensively and continue to, to, to play consistently on the offensive side of football, we can, in fact, have a conversation. But right now, despite not having looked like it, I think the Eagles are the best team in football although they haven't really looked like it in the first two games, despite them being also 2-0. But the fact of the matter is, they haven't looked like the dominant Eagles team that we've seen from last year. The Cowboys, on the other hand, they've looked dominant, both offensively, but especially on the defensive side of the football, where that's really been the big story for them so far. So we'll have to wait and see what happens, especially over the next three games in which that the Cowboys will face the Cardinals week three, the Patriots week four, and as well as the the Niners in week five. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Sugar Rights Podcast, the final break of this pod as I record here on this Monday after uh, week two of the NFL regular season Sunday slate of games has concluded I'm recording just before the Monday night games. There's two of them actually um, tonight, amazingly enough, um, in which the Saints, they're playing the Carolina um, Panthers and as well as, as well as then the Browns later on playing the Steelers. First game is starting at 715 kickoff. That's on ESPN and as well as um, Brown Steelers, um, 815 kickoff on ABC. So two Monday night games tonight, but there is a team that I actually want to spend some time talking about because this team I am actually personally a fan of, and there are some things that really bothered me um, last night watching 
the Miami Dolphins and as well as the, the Patriots play on Sunday Night Football. Patriots lose in heartbreaking fashion. Stop me if you heard this before. Um, it doesn't surprise me to tell you the truth. But what does surprise me is that there is a disturbing trend that is happening with the Patriots that I think it needs to be talked about a bit. Because this is now the second consecutive week that the Patriots have started off rather very slow offensively. They started off very slow and in which that they've had to play from behind. The issue isn't their ability to put up points. The problem is that when, they, when they're playing from behind, you happen to be playing some really good offenses in the Eagles and as well as the Dolphins, respectively, and you just don't have the offense to actually be able to mount comebacks to be able to put up points on the board at will. And that's exactly what happened yesterday. Say what you will about about um about Mike Gilselke, you know, tossing the, the ball in the air as he was as he was being brought down to Cole Strange, who was stopped just short of the first down marker, which effectively uh, wrapped up the night for the Patriots in terms of any chance of winning that game as the Dolphins took over on downs after after review of the play and the thing that comes to mind for me is if this team actually starts on time, among other factors, why we'll start with starting on time, we wouldn't be having this discussion as it currently stands. I mean, we wouldn't. How amazing is it that in two consecutive weeks, what has been the, the, the common theme for the New England Patriots so far? You could say offensive line. You wouldn't be wrong. I'm with you. But I'm going to go in a different direction here, and I'm going to say slow starts. Slow starts. Starting off slow in which that you've had to play from behind, and by the time you get an opportunity to actually do some real damage, tie up a game or take the lead, it's too little too late. If you may remember, Week one against the Eagles, the Patriots fell behind 16 to nothing. And had and before they headed into halftime, the Patriots scored on two consecutive drives to make it 16-14. Obviously, we know the Patriots fell short 25 to 20 in that one. Last night, the Patriots fell behind to the Dolphins, this time 10 nothing. 10 nothing. And in the second half, it was basically a common battle of playing from behind, making key timely plays, and so forth. And that's an issue in the NFL. When you don't have a good offense, an offense in which that it is average at best, and that's probably putting it very nicely, average at best, it's a recipe for disaster. Point blank. When you have an offense that does not have a true number one receiver. Oh, that's right. The Dolphins on the other side, they have two number one receivers, Tyreek Hill and Jalen and and Waddle. Two. The Patriots, you don't have one. We don't have a number one receiver. You become very predictable. 
very predictable to to, to defend. And that's what happened. The, the Miami Dolphins defense, they played a solid enough game where, by and large part, they knew when the blitz. They knew that they had guys in the secondary, a.k.a. Xavier Howard, who picked off Mac Jones in an ill-advised throw that he made last night to make plays. And this is why I am concerned about the New England Patriots after two weeks. If you were listening to me back in Boston when I was doing the radio show on 91.5 WMFO, and I have told friends this even in private off social media, that it would genuinely not surprise me if the Patriots started off 0-4. It wouldn't surprise me. Right now, as it currently stands on this Monday, we're halfway there, and the Patriots have yet to win a game. And then, oh, by the way, they got the New York Jets on Sunday. And a game that was supposed to have much more hype and much more hoopla because the Jets getting Aaron Rodgers. But now that he's done for the season, it doesn't have the same juice. But it's always fun when the when the Jets and Patriots play each other. Always. It doesn't have the same fire. It doesn't have the same headline grabber where um where like you could look forward to this match and say, you know what, Aaron Rodgers, man, we're gonna have to game plan against him. But instead the Patriots have to worry about game planning against Zach Wilson. Does that make you feel any better personally? Not really. Cool. They can game plan against Zach Wilson, but let me tell you something. If the Patriots still have issues starting on time, being able to uh, to get anything going offensively and the and the defense for the Patriots has to stay on the field longer than they should, then it's going to be a long afternoon. Period. And then, oh, by the way, there were times in which that the Patriots secondary got burned in the air. Point the finger at whoever you want to point the finger at. Fine. But understand this. Understand that the secondary of the of the New England Patriots are going to be tested again on Sunday. Because Garrett Wilson is one of the best young receivers in the league, top three right now. Despite not having Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback, he's still a threat if you're not careful. Brees Hall, one of the best young running backs in the league, when healthy. Patriots front seven, they're going to have their, their work cut out in order to contain him. Good luck with that. And then last but not least, the offensive line. Because I said it on social media on Sunday night during the game, and I'll say it again here in the pod. Mac Jones was not the reason why the Patriots lost to the Dolphins. It's the offensive line. And many people will say, well, they have half of their starters that, that are injured right now. True, but it doesn't negate the fact that the offensive line has been a problem, regardless of who's in there. You ain't got to like what I'm saying, but if your team has injuries, every team in the NFL has injuries, and the players that are coming in to step in can't step up and get the job done, there's a problem. And that was the Patriots offensive line last night. Yet again, constantly Mac Jones had to run around as if he had his head on a swivel. Constantly, Mac Jones had to 
worry about getting the ball out quicker, something that he struggled with last night at certain point in junctures during the game. So say what you will, say what you want. The Patriots right now, through this first four game of the gauntlet of the season, not good because, ladies and gentlemen, they got Dallas in week four. Not looking too far ahead after the Jet game this Sunday, but they got Dallas coming up right after. And Dallas, as I was talking about earlier in the pod, their defense is for real. Their defense is problematic. And right now, with a pedestrian offense and an offensive line that isn't protecting Mac Jones the way that he should be protected, it's going to be a long afternoon. Oh, by the way, the Jets' defense ain't nothing to be sneezed at either. So if the offensive line continues to struggle that the way that it has in the first two games, it is going to be trouble for the Patriots' offense on Sunday against this Jet defense that is still pretty damn good, and as well as against Dallas in a couple of weeks in which that, let's be let's face it, let's be honest, both teams respectively, elite pass rush. Patriots' offensive line, average, mediocre, mediocre play so far, excuses or not. So say what you will. But the Patriots right now, they are in a world of trouble. And as I said during the summer, and I'll say it again now, it would not surprise me if the team started 0-4. And I'll end it on this point here. Teams starting out 0-2 in NFL history do not have a great track record at all. The Patriots haven't started 0-2 themselves since 2001, and that was when they had some guy named Tom Brady as their quarterback, like first-year starter, second-year player. They won the Super Bowl. But here's the real kicker. The last NFL team to have started 0-2 and gone on to win the Super Bowl. Who was it? It was the 2007 New York Giants. So history is not on their side. And if they fall to 0-3 on Sunday, you can pretty much kiss the season goodbye and really start having some major, major conversations in New England in regards to what is the issue with this organization? Does the philosophy need to change? And what needs to be done moving forward? Because this isn't working. This is not working so far. Season's not over today. It's not over. But if they lose on Sunday to the Jets, mark my words, I think the season's done at 0-3. If the Patriots lose to the Jets and they fall to 0-3, it's done. So that is basically where we are at now. And with that being said, this is going to wrap up this edition of the Shook Rice Podcast with your host, Shook Rice. Thank you for watching on YouTube and as well as listening to the podcast wherever you get your podcast as well. I look forward to talking to you again next time. Take it easy. Have a good one.